to Wellhouse. Uh, those of you who are joining us for the first time, maybe online or here, those of you who've been with us for a long time, uh, welcome as well. We're excited um, that you're here and we're excited about the things that God is doing. We're going to talk about some of those things today. Uh, we have some really special guests with us today uh, from Gateway Elementary School. Many of you know um, that we kind of have a past uh, with Gateway Elementary, uh, just being able to help them and serve them and uh, serve the families that are there and the, and the staff that are there. It's been great. Uh, we just participated in a day for good where we got to go over and help them out. And that's, that was just been wonderful to be able to partner with them. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a bit uh, and some other, some other cool stuff. So we're excited about those things. Uh, you know, if you know Wellhouse at all, then you know that we kind of, we, we're, we're geared towards three things. The first one is uh, to belong to a family. We believe that everybody deserves to belong. And we, uh, it's, it's more than just you're welcome here, uh, but that you belong here. And so if you know somebody else who really needs to belong, uh, then bring them with you. Invite them to come and join. Uh, be a part of a family who's willing to love and to serve them. Uh, the second thing is to bless our community. That's what we want to do, to look around uh, not only uh, our, our neighbors, but our community and our world, and to serve them with the gifts that we have. We believe that everybody is born with a gift that God wants uh, to use, and so we encourage you to bless our community. And the third thing is to become more like Jesus. Uh, you've heard us say before that we're a group of imperfect people who are loved by and serve a perfect God, and that is true. Uh, we are a group of imperfect people, and there's nobody here, including myself, who, who makes the claim that we get it right all the time, but we know a God who does, and he calls us to be in relationship with him where he transforms us, and that's a beautiful thing. So our quest is to become more like God every day. I don't compare myself to anybody else other than who I was yesterday in my relationship with God, and so that's what we're all about here at Wellhouse. We are starting a new series. We just wrapped up our summer series, and uh, we're starting a new series today um, called We've Got You Covered. And I'll tell you, the premise of this message uh, is one that is, I, I think, so important because I don't know about you, but in my life, there have been times where uh, kind of the storms of life, there's been a lot going on. It seems like mounting pressure from every side, and it's really easy. How many of you have found that it's really easy to focus on all of the problems that are going on in your own life? How many of you found that to be true? Really easy to do. Five of us. Cool. All right. So the rest of you, no problem, but five of us are in this boat together. That's good. That's good. Uh, no, it's really easy to do. But God has designed us for more than that. And I don't know about you, but I have found the moments in time where I recognize that I'm kind of looking in a little bit too much and I kind of open up my horizon to help and serve and see the needs of other people. Those are the times where God has grown me the most. And so this series is all about that idea that, that God has equipped you in your life with some umbrellas that he wants you to hold over other people. Now, a lot of times in our lives, it's like, well, I have an umbrella, it's for me, right? And so I don't get wet. And, and God has equipped you with some things in your life to cover other people. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some people in. Um, they may not be physically in the building with us. We're going to be talking about ways that we can help cover them. 
and, and there may be some strengths that you have. There may be some, uh, some just ways God created you that you can help cover them and their needs. And so we're excited to have Gateway with us. Um, as we start today, here's what I'd love to do. Um, and it'll take you a little bit outside of your comfort zone, hopefully not too much. But I'd like you to raise your hand. Some, some of you are like, uh-oh, bad Sunday to show up. Um, no, uh, raise your hand if you are married and have ever had a disagreement with your spouse. Raise your hand if you, some of you are looking at your spouse and say, well, good, good. Raise your hand if, if <laughs> keeping them up, that's okay, keep them up. Um, raise your hand and keep it up if you have ever found that parenting was much more difficult than what you had originally intended. Keep your hand, yep, 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 yep. Raise your hand if you grew up in a family that you would consider mildly to moderately to severely dysfunctional. Raise your, yeah, some of you are like, can I put a foot up in this equation? Like, it was rough. Okay, raise your hand. This is going to get a little bit, a little, but I'll most of our hands are up, so keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you ever grew up in an abusive situation. Raise your hand. Keep your, keep your hands up. If, if you already have them up, keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you've ever gone through a, a season of life with somebody else, and maybe as a coworker, maybe as a boss, maybe somebody else who manipulated you in a way that, man, it seems like it is so hard to get past. It seems like your life kind of catches back up with you every once in a while. Yeah. All right, you can put your hand down. I think we got just just about everybody covered. I'm going to throw out an idea. That's going to be really hard to swallow at first. But then we're going to read somebody's story, and maybe by the end, you can identify with this person a little bit. And we'll move on together and seeing how God wants us to shelter other people in the midst of our own storm sometimes. But all the things that I had you raise your hand for and the things that you're thinking through and remembering about, what if what others meant for harm, because let's be honest, that's true sometimes, isn't it? That somebody else meant it for harm. What if God can use for good? What if what somebody else meant for bad, God can use for good? What if what somebody else meant for evil, meant for torment, meant for manipulation, meant to hurt you, that God can actually take that situation? And he says, no, 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 no. I want to show you a different side of this story right here. Well, that's the story that we're going to be reading about today. You may be familiar with the story, or you may not be familiar. It's found all the way at the very beginning of the Bible in a book called Genesis. So if you have your Bible, you can flip on over. If you have your Bible on your phone, you scroll on over to Genesis chapter 50. Uh, and in Genesis chapter 50, we're kind of wrapping up uh, this book of Genesis, it's kind of the story of the beginning, starts with the beginning and the beginning and God creates and then we find out about God's people and how he develops them and we read some characters. A lot of those, if you grew up in church, they were flannel board story characters. But here in Genesis chapter 50, we're going to start in verse 15 and we're going to read about a guy named Joseph. This is what it says, Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse uh, 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, 
All right, and he's got several brothers, and then all of a sudden the father of all these brothers dies. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. And this is what he, uh, you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. Now, here, here's what we don't know. If this is actually what their dad said. We don't, we, don't, we don't have any record that he actually said this. This could be kind of one last manipulation tool. This could be one more like, all right, we're, we're, kind of, we're not sure where this is going, so let's just see if we kind of put in a good word here, if this is going to kind of cover us. The story continues and says, When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to him, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. Then he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with Joseph's story or not, but it's probably my favorite story in the Bible. The, the story of Joseph is, is incredible. It, it should be made into this uh, Netflix docu-series, right? Where every episode leaves you hanging and you're like, there's no way, there's no way that's real. And yet it is. We find Joseph's story really begins before he's born. There's a rivalry, if you remember, there's a rivalry between his dad and his brother because his dad stole a birthright away. And then he winds up having to leave the land and he, he, he meets up with some relatives, which is really odd, and, and then winds up marrying into the family, which he's already a part of the family, which again, odd, where he gets tricked into marrying the older sister when he really, really wants the younger sister. The older sister is kind of described that she's, uh, she has weak eyes, which really is saying she's weak on the eyes, right? It's like, ooh, right? Can I have the better looking of the two? And, and, the, and the father-in-law tricks him, and he winds up marrying the older daughter that he doesn't want, and then and then works another seven years, 14 years total, to marry this girl that he loves. And could you imagine just for a moment, just for a moment, that, that you're the older sister, right? You're the girl that nobody wants to marry. Your, your dad had to kind of plan this thing elaborately to get you hitched off and married. And now your husband is like, I really don't want you. I'd work another seven years to get another girl because that's who I really want. And so there's competitiveness between the wives. And in that day and age, if you could reproduce, if you're a woman who could give your husband babies, then you had, had some desire. And so the older sister, Leah, she's, she's able to reproduce. And so she starts giving babies and she's saying, all right, maybe my husband will love me now that I'm giving him children. But the truth of the matter was it didn't, it didn't happen that way. And of course, Rachel now seeing the, the younger of the two, the more loved of the two, seeing that her older sister is having babies, she can't 
And so she winds up offering up her maidservant to her husband and saying, if I can't provide, then maybe somebody who belongs to me can. And then it became this crazy competition to see which sister could have more children. That's the kind of level of dysfunction that Joseph is born into. And you thought your family was bad. Joseph is born to the favorite wife, which automatically makes him hated by everybody else. But there's more dysfunction that we find out that happens through the telling of Joseph's story. And in Genesis chapter uh, 34, there's this story with uh, a couple of um, Joseph's older brothers, Simeon and Levi, and, and one of their sisters. Their sister's kind of taken off, and then somebody winds up having their way with her. And she's violated. And so the two brothers go off, and they decide that they're going to trick this community of people. And, and as they do so, they wind up killing them all. Now, if you can only imagine what kind of craziness ensues from that, right? The father saying, what, what have you done to me? So he's got two brothers over here doing this while at the same time, another older brother winds up sleeping with the concubine of his father, basically his stepmom. Craziness ensuing. And if that weren't enough, we read this story of another brother who has children. And, and one of them marries off and marries a lady named Tamar and he dies and leaves, leaves her childless. So Judah decides, he says, you know, I have kids, but I'm not going to give them to, they're too young, maybe one day, but he never does. He never fulfills his promise. So she dresses, this is a crazy the Bible is a crazy, it has got some crazy messed up stories. You should read it sometime. It's really good. <clears throat> Tamar dresses up like a prostitute because she knows her father-in-law's habits. And she knows the kind of scandals he gets himself into. She winds up sleeping with him and winds up conceiving. And then all of a sudden the secret's out. This is the kind of family that Joseph is born into. And you're thinking, man, there's so many scandals right now, and I can't even tell you who's who. Like, what's going on in this story? Then in verse, or chapter 37, we, we start finding out more about the life of Joseph. And Joseph, because he's born to Rachel, because it's his father's favorite wife, the, the woman that he worked 14 years for, he's the favorite child. It says that, the Bible says that his dad loved him so much he gave him a special coat. It stood out among the rest. And his brothers hated him for it. I don't know about you, but growing up, how many of you ever felt like somebody else in the family was your parents' favorite child? Did you ever feel that way, right? I think every kid at some point in time feels that way. But they, they had a reason for feeling that way. Not only that, but Joseph, we find out, is the tattletale of the group. His father will send him on secret missions to go check out what the brothers are doing. And in fact, what happens, we find out, is that Joseph will come back and he'll give bad reports 
about what his brothers are doing away from home, which it sounds like they needed bad reports, right? Because they're all into all kinds of things. This is what Joseph's doing. I don't know about you, but I learned long ago that snitches get stitches. So you don't, you don't dare snitch on anybody, but this is exactly what Joseph was doing. So his brothers hated him all the more. And if there wasn't reason enough between the coat, between being born to Rachel, the favorite wife, between being a snitch in the family, there was the dream. And Joseph had these series of dreams that I don't know if he was foolish enough or brave enough or whatever it was that he began to tell his, his brothers and his fathers about, that, that he was lifted up, that he was great, and everybody else was bowing down to him. Of course, this made everybody mad at him. So one day, his dad decides that he's going to send him out to check on, on his siblings again, 63 miles away. So Joseph takes the trek out to visit them. And when they see him coming, dressed in his robe, this snitch of a brother that seems to be the favorite. The scripture says that he begins to, that the brothers begin to talk about what they're going to do to this kid. They're tired of him. And so they devise the plan. Let's just kill him. And let, well, what we'll do is we'll kill him and then we'll take the rope. We'll dip it in some blood. We'll take it back to dad. And we'll just say, we don't know what happened. We saw this rope. Doesn't it belong to your favorite one? The oldest ones begin to grow a conscience. They say, listen, we can't do that. How about we just, we throw him in a well We'll leave him there. We'll see what happens. They had intentions to come back. The older ones, it says, had intentions to come back and rescue him eventually and take him back home. But that's not what happened. As they're sitting down, here's what's crazy. They throw, as he shows up, they throw him down in a well. It says that they took a break for lunch and debated on what was going to happen. Read your Bible. It's a really crazy story. They took a break. They ate lunch, and as they're talking at the top of this well, and I'm sure he can hear every hateful, spiteful, awful word that's spoken about him, there comes a caravan along. They decide that they're going to sell him, because at least at this point they can profit off of his youth. So they sell him into slavery. Now imagine that's your story. And if that, was Joseph, if that was all of Joseph's story with all the family dysfunction and hatred and murderous threats and all that kind of stuff, that would be a tale. But the story is really just warming up. In Genesis 39, we, we, we start to read more of Joseph's story. He's sold from this, this group of people into the Egyptian, um, in, into really Egyptian government into a guy named Potiphar, and Potiphar was, was a higher up in the Egyptian council. He was over a whole lot of things. He becomes Potiphar's kind of right-hand man. He makes sure that everything is taken care of. He's 17 years old. And he's given basically the keys to the house. And everything is going a little better for, for Joseph, despite the fact that he is a slave, except for the fact that Potiphar's wife finds him young and handsome. She offers a proposition to Joseph that he can have his way with her. And he says something that's really interesting. I, 
He says, not only can I not do that to Potiphar because he's put me in control of everything, but I can't treat my God that way. So as he begins to leave the house, she grabs his coat. It's interesting that he's betrayed by a coat twice. Have you ever found that out? It's interesting, isn't it? She grabs his coat, and then she yells out to draw attention. He says, I don't know if you guys know this, but just a minute ago, Joseph was in here, and he was trying to have his way with me. Potiphar finds out, he finds Joseph, and he throws him into the king's prison. Now, the king's prison is, is, is a, a grueling punishment. It's sent for those who, who really have uh, angered the higher-ups. So you get treated worse than anybody else. We don't know exactly how long Joseph is in the prison for something he didn't do. But what we do know is that over time, Joseph's character never stops. To the degree to which the jailer, the guy who's over everything, begins to trust Joseph. And he gives him responsibility in the jail. That he's over certain things and he's well respected among the inmates. So much so that other people who find themselves in the jail begin to ask Joseph questions. They begin to have a relationship with Joseph. Two people in particular, the baker and the cupbearer. Now we don't know exactly why the baker and the cupbearer are in there. But one could suppose that maybe there was a threat against the king that, that they didn't catch or they, they weren't aware of. Or there was a conspiracy that they were going to hurt Pharaoh in some way. Regardless, they're in there. And they both have dreams. And these dreams seem upsetting to them, so as they're talking to somebody who they trust, Joseph says, listen, there is, there's only one person who can interpret dreams, and that's God and God alone, but I'll pray about it, and I'll see what happens. And he winds up interpreting the dreams. For the baker, things don't end well. He's found convicted and killed. But for the cupbearer, He's restored to his place, and he tells him, listen, when you get to see Pharaoh, don't forget me. The cupbearer winds up going back and serving again, but it says it was two years later before the cupbearer remembers the guy in the jail with him. Two years how many of you have ever been in a season of your life where just things were in a funk, right? And it was like, man, this is taking, how long? It's like, I've been down for a week or two or 10 or, you know, a few months now or two years. He sits and he waits. And eventually, the cupbearer remembers this guy. Says they bring him out of jail. They wind up presenting him before Pharaoh Joseph prays and interprets a dream. And the dream basically tells everybody that, listen, there's some bad news coming. There's famine coming. There's people who are going to die that are coming. But if we prepare now, if, if we get ready now, that not only are we going to live, but we're going to save the lives of other people, and we're going to profit while doing so. And Pharaoh says, man, who in the world could be better for the job than you? So Joseph is taken literally from the dungeon of death and placed in second command of the entire region. This is Joseph's story. 
And this is why we read this section a minute ago where Joseph's brothers are scared. You remember what happened before. You remember the whole chain of events before. They remember the words that they spoke before. Remember when we said we were going to kill him? Remember when we said we hated him so much? Remember what we said to him before the last time we saw his face and how we wished he was dead and we sold him off and we said, man, we'd rather have money than have that guy in our lives. One more second. You remember all the bad things we said about his mom? Remember all the bad things we said about him? Do you think there's a way now that our dad's dead that those memories won't come back and bite us all? And I don't know about you, but I wrestle with that because I think, man, there's times in my life if I were standing face to face with the person or people that hurt me most, man, I would just love to say everything I've ever thought about saying to them before. All the things that I thought about in the shower, as I was like, man, if they were right here right now, I would just lay into it. All the things I thought about when I was laying about, just, man, if I, they were here right now, all the things I would tell them. Man, if I could just put, put, on, put them in a ring one time with Steve and we, this thing will be over. You been there before? And Joseph has his chance. And this is what he says. I know you're afraid. Because people of the world, when they're treated wrong, they, they hurt people, hurt people. But you don't have to be afraid because I'm not in the place of God. See, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, again, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your family. And then he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. I don't know about you, but that story challenges me in ways that I'm not really ready for all the time. But what I found is true in life is this, that life circumstances can either leave you bitter or better. And the great news is, is that you get to decide. And I don't know what happened to you yesterday or what happened to you last year or what happened to you a decade ago or when you were growing up. But I do know this, that life circumstances can either leave you bitter or better and you get to decide it. You may not have had the parent you wanted or needed. You may not have had the spouse that you wanted or needed. You may not have had the security that you wanted or needed, but I know for sure that you can choose bitterness or betterness. This is the story of Joseph. And what I've learned is that bitter people hang on to the umbrella themselves. Bitter people will hang on to the umbrella of security for themselves. A bitter Joseph would have stood before them and said, you know what? You have every reason to be afraid of me. And I won't do anything now, but just wait. That would be a bitter Joseph. 
A better Joseph says, hey, I know you're worried. Don't be afraid. Hey, I know you did wrong. You did evil. In fact, you intended for it to be evil. But I recognize that my God is bigger than your intentions. So you don't have to be afraid. In fact, what I'm going to do for you is better than what you did for me. When you could have taken care of me, you didn't. But I'm going to take care of not only you, but your families as well. Instead of holding the umbrella for me, I'm going to make sure you're covered. See, I believe in life circumstances that God may want to use you. And here's the painful thing, is that he may leverage your pain for somebody else's purpose. I can tell you some of the greatest pain that I've ever walked through continually is the thing that God wants me to use over and over and over again for somebody else's purpose. I don't know about you, but those are the stories I gravitate to in the Bible. It's not the person who seems perfect the whole time. It's the per person who, who has uh, like bruises and, 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 and bleeding throughout the time and they, they, they stumble and they fall and yet somehow God works through them in miraculous ways. Those are the stories that I'm drawn to. And in fact, those are the people that I'm drawn to. It's the people that have found resilience through difficult times. And I found... There's a few keys to helping us get there, that there is awareness that comes that God can use us despite what we've gone through in the past. And so I wanted to kind of point out a few thoughts about how to remain aware of what God is doing despite some of the hurts that we've gone through in our life. The first one is this, that we need to recognize and not compare brokenness. Recognize, not compare brokenness. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like when you're in a room full of people, it's like, who was hurt the most? Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, well, I grew up like this. and Well, well you, then you should hear my story. I grew up like this. And all of a sudden, when we start to compare stories, we don't identify anymore. And so we recognize brokenness. We don't compare and maybe that's where Joseph was. Maybe that's kind of the first step that helped him too. See, it'd be really easy to say, look at all the things you did to me. Instead of saying, you know what? I recognize broken. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the children of a woman who felt unloved in her own family. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be these children and see the Father's love given to one and not spread out to all. See, instead of focusing on his own hurt, Joseph somehow was able to recognize the brokenness among his family. The second thing that Joseph did in this story is that he allowed his theology, not his circumstances, to determine his response. Time and time again, he points back to his theology. He said, listen, my God would want this from me. My God is planning this from me. My God is protecting me in these places. He allows his theology, not his circumstance, to determine his response. I don't know, 
I don't know your story, but I think I know you and humanness well enough to know that there's times in your past where your response has come out of your circumstance. And then you said something or you did something, you're like, ooh, not going to get those words back. And you inflicted a hurt that you never fully intended, but now you can't take back. For Joseph, it was all about allowing his theology to determine his response to the people in his life. Band, if you'll come on up as we kind of close out a few last thoughts together. Another thing was that he allowed the unique things about himself um, that, that God could use in the moment. And when we identify the unique things about you and I that God can use right now, Man, God begins to work. Sometimes I think we feel like God is far off and maybe one day God will, but it just seems so far away. Joseph uses what he has and then puts them into place. I believe Joseph used his leadership skills in the jail to prepare for leadership skills that he would use in leading a nation. He used the little bits and things that he had. Some of you, man, you are gifted in so many amazing ways. Some of you are some of the best encouragers I know. Some of you, it's just your presence. My goodness gracious, just being around you. Man, you, you make people feel safe and welcome. Some of you are, have some of the biggest servant hearts that I've ever seen. You'll surround and do whatever needs to be done because that's what God called you to do. You're creative. You're thoughtful. You're compassionate. You're giving. And so you identify the unique things that God has given you to do right now. And the last thing is this, that God can leverage your deepest wounds as a lifeline to somebody else. That God can leverage your deepest wounds as a lifeline to somebody else. And this is so valuable to remember. Many of you know this story. Maybe some of you don't. Back years ago, I went through a really painful divorce as a minister. It wasn't anything I wanted. It was things that I fought years and years and years to not have happen. But I went through it anyway. And you know what's interesting about that is it's given me a platform to reach out to other people who are struggling, people who feel like they're outcasts, people who feel like, man, God isn't with them or for them, or maybe the church is against them because of the things that they've gone through. And I get to walk alongside them and say, listen, I know that, that things in your life always, they don't always turn out the way that you had hoped that they would, the way that you prayed that they would, the way that you counted on that they would. What I can tell you is that God is faithful in all of those things. And I don't know what your deepest wounds are, but here's what I know for sure is that if you're open to it, God will leverage the pain from your past for somebody else's future. And the question is, are you ready? Will you use the things that God has given you to cover somebody else? Will you be bold in sharing the things that God has placed in your life to cover somebody else? We're going to get to talk about that here in a moment. But would you stand with us as, as we continue in worship today?